man, that's actually a great segue uh, for today. Um, I think there's a lot of us in the ministry who there's a lot of unknowns. Okay, uh, there's a lot of people in this in this group right now where where you have a lot of questions about your future, and it it could be related to uh, your career. It could be related to um, your relationships, uh, your living situations, uh, and I think I, I mean. If you're really looking at your life and thinking about that, I bet there's a lot of you who have questions right now about the things that you can't see. And I, and I want to uh, encourage you a little bit. That'll never change. Okay, that's nothing. That'll never change in your life. Uh, there'll be moments where uh, where you have uh, solutions um, and you have things that God determines for you and they come to fruition. And you'll take a deep breath and you'll say, oh, I knew that was coming. I didn't know what it would look like and I didn't know how it would happen, God, but you did it. And you'll have those moments. And then you'll have something new like a month later to trust God for that you have no idea about. And this is the way your whole entire life goes and then you die. Okay? And because this is how God keeps us on our toes. Okay? This is how God keeps us in a position of faith. And faith is something that we're going to be talking about a lot today. Um, but, but this is how God keeps us in a position of faith, where we have to continually, continually be trusting Him for, uh, for new things. Uh, because if we're not growing, and if we're not changing, and if there's not a new uh, hill to take, then we, have, we will grow stagnant, and we will grow comfortable, and we will fail in living out the Great Commission. Do you understand? So we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to pick it back up. But we are going to do a, a, quite a bit of reviewing this morning, because it's been a minute. It's been a whole month. Since we've been in Acts. And, uh, and so, man, praise God for what we've been, had going on. Mission Focus, Uriah preached, testimonies last week. Uh, a lot going on, a lot of good stuff. But it's time for us to get back in Acts. And it's time for us to start hammering away at it. Because there's a lot here. So let's pray again. And, we will, uh, and then we will begin to review. Are you ready? Are you with me? I've missed preaching. I, I don't like not preaching. Um, so this is, this is good. Um, I've got to kind of shake off the dust a little bit, all right? Okay, so let's pray. Dear God, I need you. Uh, Lord, your word is so powerful. And I know that even if my heart and my mind are um, a little distracted, at least uh, this weekend has been so chaotic, um, not knowing where we're going to, where we're going to sleep tonight, um, keeping my kids warm, uh, having to worry about work tomorrow, and am, am I going to be ready for work? Um, when is, the, when is the electricity going to come back? And all of these things that are very, uh, very minor, really, uh, minor thoughts and minor distractions, they don't really mean much in light of your mission. Uh, I'm just going to trust you. And I know that. I know that. But, Lord, I just need you to, to lift the fog so that I can see your word clearly this morning and so that I can communicate clearly. I trust you with that. And, Lord, I, I just ask, there's so much... Uh, Lord, that you have for us, so much waiting for us uh, in terms of, of the mission. And, uh, and, and God, as a ministry, we need you to continually be pushing us and provoking us to more. Uh, Lord, we need to uh, learn to, to, to believe you for what you've shown us. And uh, Lord, we need to learn your word. There, there's just there's so many areas in which we, um, we fall short, uh, we're weak, we are um, insufficient. And, uh, and so, Lord, we need you to, to cover that ground for us and to take us where we don't know, we don't know how to get there. We need you to take us there. And so show us from Acts what it means to press into you and just to, to believe you for the things that we can't see. 
Lord, I, I love these people in this room. And, uh, and I pray that, Lord, um, I have their heart, uh, the way Nate was, was preaching this morning. Um, God, I, I pray that, Lord, you would show me how to, how to win them and, and to have their heart. I love them so much. And there's so many of them that I don't get to meet with from week to week or, or get to talk to and, and spend time with the way that I would like. God, I just know, I know you're making up for that. Uh, Lord, I know you're meeting their needs in ways that I can't. Uh, and so, God, I, I trust you, and I, and I trust the work that you're doing in our Bible studies. And, uh, and Lord, I just ask that you would um, help, help us to believe you and not in necessarily in one another. I think a lot of times we, we, we want to put our trust in one another, and we let each other down. And so in those moments and in those times, God, I just ask that you would show us how to look to you. And trust you uh, because you are the one that's perfect and you're the one whose love is unconditional and you speak perfect truth. And there is no, um, there's no error in you. And so uh, when, we can't, um, when we can't find hope in one another, uh, Lord, uh, help us to look to you <laughs> um, because you are, you are hope. And so, Lord, we trust you. We ask you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is the least prepared I've ever been. Okay? No internet, no electricity. Uh, Eva and I slept on the floor at my parents' house last night. Okay. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you did this last night too. And so um, I did my best, uh, but God is big. And, uh, and so we'll see what we have here. Let's talk about Acts for a moment, okay, shall we? For, for some of us, maybe this is your first week with us. Well, for, well hey, welcome. Um, <laughs> so uh, we've been in Acts. This is what we've been doing, and, and it's been a while. And so we want to come back to a place where we're thinking about what God has taught us in Acts, Okay. And, and so first and foremost, Acts, Acts is a narrative, okay? Acts is a story. It's a storybook. And it tells us uh, about a group of men who uh, were um, the apostles. The Acts of the Apostles is actually the title of the book. About a group of men who God took and molded and prepared and um, sent out into the world uh, that they might declare the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so if you're not familiar with that gospel message... Um, then you have no idea what these guys are doing. It'll seem ridiculous to you because they're doing some pretty weird stuff here. And uh, the reason that they're, they're, they're living in the manner that they live is because they believe in the gospel message. And the gospel message is essentially this. We were sinners and we, were, um, we fell short of the, the holiness of God. We don't deserve Him. And uh, after thousands of years of men uh, trying to, um, to, to live within the dictates of a holy God, and failing at it, uh, generation after generation, uh, God found it uh, good for us that He might send His only begotten Son. Our, our triune God, a three-part God, sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world that He might live a perfect life, uh, that He might um, uh, uh, show us what true love, true love truly looks like, and uh, that He might die on our behalf. Uh, because we needed a, a sacrificial lamb. We needed someone to stand in the gap for us because, again, we couldn't do it on our own. We failed repeatedly at living a good life. 
Right? And you know that of yourself, and you know that of mankind, and that was true of, of the people in, in generations past, thousands of years ago, people trying to live according to the law of God and failing to do it over and over again. So he sent a perfect son into the world that he might live that way on our behalf and that he might die on our behalf, that his, his blood might wash away our sins. Okay, so it's through his death, not just his death, but his burial, and not just through his burial, but his resurrection, that we might find victory. Okay, victory through him. Victory through, uh, through what he did when he defeated death. And by putting our faith in the Son uh, of God, uh, we might be one to God, and we might, might be made the children of God. And so this is the story. This is the story that they lived, and it's the story that they carried. They knew Jesus Christ face to face, these apostles did. They knew Him. They watched Him live. They watched Him die. They watched Him raise again. They knew it intimately. And this was the message that they carried into the world so that other people might believe on it also. Okay, now, this story is crucial to us. How they lived this, how they did this, this is crucial to us. These men changed the entire world. This group of men changed the entire world. In fact, the reason that there is Christianity in this room this morning is because these men chose to live fearless lives carrying the message of the gospel. It's the, it's the, reason, I, the reason I and, and you as well can say that Jesus Christ has, has saved me from my sin and I f- follow Him is because of how God used men like the men in this story. Now, because of that, Acts is a missions handbook. Okay, The story of the Acts of the Apostles is a missions handbook for us. And we as believers can look to it as a guide about how to live out the mission for ourselves. Do you understand? Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. And so we need to look, for it, uh, look to it for that very purpose, that we might find inspiration for our lives about how we should live according to the gospel. And this is the reason that we selected the book of Acts in the first place. is because it's time uh, for us to conform our lives uh, to the mission. It's, t- it's time for us. And I think you guys know that. And, I- and I've been watching it. I've, w- I've-, I've been listening to the testimonies. I've been listening to hear what God has done in your lives through Mission Focus. And I'm hearing, and it's confirmation to me, that we are supposed to be in Acts. And that we are supposed to be learning from these men. Because God is preparing us for this next step in the Great Commission. It's time for us to say yes. Okay? And so we're looking to the stories uh, of these men that we might see it as an example and an example to our lives that we might move forward in greater faith, choosing a better work. Okay, now here's the other thing. Acts is also a very important doctrinal book. A very important doctrinal, doctrinal book because in it uh, we find a very important shift taking place in God's method of operation. Okay, now bear with me for a second. All right, around this church you'll hear us saying uh, and using the word dispensation. Okay, and dispensation is a really fancy biblical word. In fact, uh, that that basically uh, um, means how God does things differently in different times throughout humankind, okay? How his methodology, methodology changes throughout time, okay? 
Um, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to teach you dispensationalism, okay? Uh, but week by week, you're going to pick up on it as we begin to understand the book of Acts, okay? And, and, and so it's important. Dispensationalism is important, all right? And the book of Acts is important. It's crucial. This is what I've been telling people. People have been asking me, okay, well, what do I take for LFBI this next semester? Okay, when they've been asking me that, I've been telling them to take the Acts class. First of all, Pastor Sam is teaching it. Yeah, wow, right? Yeah, it's Pastor Sam, right? And so he's going to teach Acts, and you should take it, uh, because he's a fantastic teacher, and he knows, he knows this book well. The other reason is because we're already doing it in here, and it'll be an easy grade. As long as you're not an idiot, it should be an easy grade because you're going to cover that content twice. As long as you don't get lazy and stupid like you did last semester, you're going to do just fine because you already know uh, the material. You're hearing it two times, and so you should take it. That's just good common sense, right? I mean, you could take it four years from now, but you won't know it as well then. Yeah? Take it now because you're learning it twice. Okay, and the last thing is this. You're a growing leader. You're a growing leader. And so, and so what you need is, is maybe you don't need to take the apologetics class. Okay? Just listen to the Ravi Zacharias podcast and you'll get there. Okay? You'll learn apologetics. Okay? And, and you need apologetics. It's good for your life. Uh, but let me explain something to you. Acts is a turnkey. Okay? If you can get a hold of Acts, it actually gives you the capacity to unlock the entirety of your Bible particularly the New Testament. And what it does is it sets you free to have a greater knowledge and understanding of what God is doing prophetically throughout the New Testament. And it'll get you through that just fine. So if you learn Acts, then you have the ability uh, to learn everything else as it regards what God's doing in His program. God has a program. He has an objective. He has something that He's trying to achieve. He's been trying to achieve it for thousands of years now. Okay, He refers to it as a kingdom. Okay? And it helps us, Acts helps us to better understand the nature of his kingdom and what he is going to do prophetically moving forward. Yeah? Okay. So Acts is important doctrinally. And the reason it's important doctrinally is because it's a book of transition. Have you heard me say that before? It's a book of transition. Well, what do you mean by that? Okay. Uh, by the way, did you notice I don't have a PowerPoint? Okay. Sorry for that. Um, I'll put one together, and I'll upload it when I have internet. Is that all right? Okay. So, books of, uh, uh, Acts is a book of transitions. Now, one of those transitions is a transition from the Old Testament Jewish economy to a New Testament Christian economy. Okay? So, while things in the Old Testament, okay, um, we're, we're confined by the Levitical and the Mosaic laws, all right, in the New Testament... Things are defined by what Christ did and is doing as we move into that economy, right? And Acts shows us that transition taking place. There's also a transition uh, from the center of the church, which is what we've seen so far. In fact, Acts chap uh, 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 chapter 1 through chapter 8 show us a very Jewish church, all right? What we see is a transition taking place from that Jewish-centered uh, church to a Gentile-centered church, which is what we're about to get into. Okay, so there's a, there's a transition taking place there, too. And in that transition, you'll actually see God changing the way that He does things 
as chapter by chapter passes. Do you understand? There will be a de-emphasis on certain things, and there will be an emphasis on other things, and that's important doctrinally. Okay? We see a transition from a Jewish-led church with Peter at the center of what's going on, which is what we've seen, isn't it? We've seen Peter, in chapter after chapter, he is taking the lead, and he is controlling what's going on. God is using him as the man at the, at the center and the forefront of what God is doing in Jerusalem. And we see that transition to a Gentile-led church through Paul. Okay? We see that. That's an important transition that takes place. And, and so I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to, I could talk about that for an hour and a half, but I'm not going to. I think it's just very important for you to know so that as we keep moving, you can see that. We see a transition from John the Baptist's call to repentance, okay, and a baptism that's focused on the Jews, all right? We see that in, in, in Acts chapter 2, all right? We see they're still conducting and doing something that looks very much like John's baptism. And that begins to change as things shift focus uh, towards the Gentiles. We see a, a, an emphasis change. We see a tide change. And that tide turn, turns towards a spiritual baptism and a focus on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now listen to me. I want to say this, and we'll, we'll make this a key point. Shall we? Key point. Key point. The Acts of the Apostles will teach us good doctrine. Very simple. It'll teach us good doctrine. And so if you hang with us, as we continue on, you will learn good doctrine and you'll begin to understand the book of Acts. And, and that's important because very few people do. Christians don't understand the book of Acts and they, and they only see it from, a, they, they start, listen to me. Can I, let me teach you something. If when you read the Bible, you start from a place of, of devotional application and inspiration, you will always fail to live a Christian life. Okay? If you, when you go to God's book and you're only looking for inspirational fodder, something to provoke into, in you a righteous living, okay, and it's always pushing you to live a particular way, and you're always going to it for inspiration, you will fail to do the thing that you set out to do. Do you understand? You will fail. Doctrine must always come first. If you're not reading the book right, then you will not live the book rightly. This is absolutely crucial. Okay? So listen to me. Listen to me. You want to live an inspired Christian life? Then start with doctrine. Understand Acts for what it's saying. People go to Acts with inspiration in mind first and doctrine second. And when doc doctrine becomes secondary, then what happens is your doctrine will fail and your perspective on the entirety of the book, the entirety of the Bible, will fall apart. It's like a crumbling foundation. It does not stand strong. It will fail. It will fail to live up to what it's supposed to be. And so what will happen is you'll run into weird things in the Bible and you'll say to yourself, wait a second, that contradicts what I saw over there. This doesn't look the same as that. What I saw in Acts doesn't seem to be what's happening over here. Why is Paul saying that? And why does Hebrews say that? And why does Acts say that? And then what's going on in Revelation? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Well, friend, it's because you did not start with doctrine. Okay? So Acts is crucial because it will teach us good doctrine. It will help us to divide rightly. The Acts of the Apostles will teach us how to embrace the hardship and joy of transition. Now, we talked about this, didn't we, early on. We talked about because Acts is a transitional book. 
And we see the apostles going through transition. And we see Jerusalem going through a transition. And we see the Pharisees grappling with transition. And because we see the Gentiles receiving this transition, we can learn a lot about what it means to transition in life. You know? You know, and we talked about this in terms of being a young person. You are going through transition, right? Your careers, your relationships, um, you know, all of these different things, things that you're thinking about, right? These are transitional points in your life. Now listen to me. If you mess up transition in your life, and if you fail, fail to have faith in times of transition, well, guess what? You're going to make bad decisions, and you're going to end up in a place where God doesn't have you. Now, praise God, he's gracious for that. But you can, you, can, you, can, you can take a job that doesn't belong to you. Listen, you can marry a person that God doesn't have for you. But guess what? Once there's a ring on that finger, that's who God has for you. And you're stuck. You're stuck, my friend. Good luck with that. And you all need faith for that. But my point is, is that these times of transition are, are always very, very crucial, right? There's a, when there's a shift in the tide, there's that, that is a moment that is very, very important, okay? And there are constant in your lives, you know it, you feel it, don't you? It's what you get all emo about at night, okay, when you're lying in bed, okay? When you're lying there and thinking about things, okay? Um, what you have to understand is that these moments are absolutely crucial. And if you fail to see them the way God wants you to see them, you'll make bad decisions and you will have to grapple with them sometimes your, your entire life. You understand? So learning how to deal with transition is very, very important. And this is also why Acts is an important book to us. Now, where have we come in terms of the story? Okay, we need to review a few of the highlights. Can we? Does this feel fresh or does this feel clunky? Like, ah, oh, I already heard this. Don't... Sh- don't shut off, okay? Don't shut off. Because we haven't even gotten into it yet. All right? I haven't even read a single verse yet. I apologize for that. So here we go. What we see in Acts um, is we see God at the very beginning, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, spent 40 days with his disciples, teaching and preaching to them. And much of this teaching dealt with the concept of the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven, right? And so we see another important thing that's taking place in Acts is God is making a, a, an emphasis, changing the emphasis from the kingdom of God emphasis with the Jewish people towards a king, uh, kingdom of heaven emphasis with the Jewish people towards a kingdom of God emphasis uh, on the New Testament believer. And so here, Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of, uh, of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, the kingdom of God is important, and, and so we need to understand this. We see in the Bible, we see two conversations taking place. We see a conversation about the kingdom of heaven, and we see a conversation about the kingdom of God. And these two things are interrelated, 
Okay, so, so we don't want to, 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 to rent them apart. There is a relationship between the two. When we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, what we're talking about, again, is that Jewish economy. It's the thing that the Jews have always been looking for, which is a physical rulership of God himself, the Messiah ruling over him. This is why when Jesus Christ came into the world and the Messiah was everything that he needed to be, they failed to see him. They didn't understand It didn't make sense to them that that the Messiah would come as a humble babe in a manger. They didn't believe that he would live a poor and lowly life. They had a hard time. They had to struggle with that because they believed that their Messiah should be a king on a throne. And you see the the disciples even grapple with that. You see Judas himself. This is the primary uh, uh, focus of his zeal. And ultimately, he, he lives a wicked and satanic life because what he's done is he's given his life to this idea of the kingdom of heaven, at least he says that with his mouth, and he's, and he's failing to notice that God himself is right before him. That all of the hope that he could ever have should be found in Jesus Christ. And so what we see is, is the Jews are focusing on the kingdom of heaven, but, but what, what Jesus is talking about with his disciples is the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Okay? It's the church. It's the church. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's a kingdom that knits people together spiritually through His Holy Spirit. Okay? So while the kingdom of God, should, or the kingdom of heaven, falls under the stewardship of a ruling Messiah, a crown and a scepter and a throne, and a people that are subject to Him, the kingdom of God is subject to the Holy Spirit and the rulership of the Holy Spirit that lives inside every believer and knits us together and makes us a part of the family of God. That is what the kingdom of God is. And so what Jesus does is he spends 40 days sitting with the disciples, teaching them of what the kingdom of God is and why it has significance to what they're about to do. Their job is to preach the kingdom of God. Salvation through Jesus Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of God, And the Great Commission. Now listen, verse 4, Jesus tells them, Jesus tells them that they must wait on the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So we we talked about, about a lot about learning to wait. Okay, so the, the, the disciples went up into the upper room. We see this in chapter 2. And they waited on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Right? Now, waiting is important. All right? So, so who got a word from the Lord at Mission Focus? I did. I did. And I know a lot of you did too. And this is why waiting is important. So, so many believe that they've been called. Okay? And I, I think a lot of you are convinced that you've been called. And, and maybe that calling is very specific. Like you could see it. I'm supposed to be a foreign missionary. Or I'm supposed to um, be a pastor. Or I'm supposed to um, commit this thing to God that I might be more, uh, more greatly used. Or, or whatever it may be, may be. Whatever it is that the Lord has shown you. You know, uh, for some of us, we knew as soon as mission focus was over that there was something we had to do immediately. Okay? Maybe it was a person that we had to talk to. Or maybe a missions trip that we needed to commit to. Or maybe we had to tell the Lord that we're, I'm ready to do that thing, or whatever it might be. And, and for some of you, there's some immediacy to that. But you know what? For most of us, though, if we're very honest, there's going to be a lot of waiting. You know, 
There's going to be a lot of waiting until God makes that thing happen. You know, here's the thing about the waiting. Waiting is good. Waiting is good because in waiting is growing. Okay? Growing happens in waiting. All right? I mean, for, for a lot of us, we know that the, wait, the waiting looks like LFBI. Right? For many of us, we know that the waiting looks like D2 or D1. For many of us, we know that the, the waiting looks like prayer. For many of us know that the, the waiting looks like us starting a, a Bible study and getting to a place where we're spiritually mature enough to handle a Bible study and the oversight of a Bible study and lead that thing until we're proven out. For many of us, the, the waiting looks like actually just discipling somebody and doing it in a way that's successful, where we can see God move and it's fruitful. And we can look back behind us and we say, oh yeah, God's used me to affect these people's lives. I'm ready to continue moving forward. And that kind of stuff takes time. And that kind of stuff is where growing happens. Others of us need confirmation. The waiting looks like confirmation. For some of us, the waiting looks like God using the leaders in your life to say, okay, now it's time. I know that you've been waiting, and now it's time. Now, you don't get to be mad about waiting. All right? I know, I know. Waiting is really difficult, especially when you're young. All right? Now, waiting gets easier. Do you remember how impatient you were when you were six? Okay? All right? You were probably a little more patient by the time you were 12. And by the time you were 18, perhaps a little more patient. And by the time you were 22, perhaps a little more. Okay? No. No, don't nod your head at me. Okay. Now, now, now listen to me. If physical maturation and time didn't fix patience in you, by God, He will. He will fix patience in you. Child of God, He will chastise you until you're patient. He will make you sit. Sit in time out until you get patient. He will hit the pause button. And because He sits outside of time, He doesn't care a whole lot about it. And you will sit there because, listen to me, you don't get to go do the thing you, you believe that God's calling you to do until you're ready to do it. And until you've proven to Him that you're going to be content enough to wait in any situation. Because guess what? When you get to that place that God has given you a vision for, okay, you see it. It's back there. It's waiting, right? When you finally get there, if you haven't learned patience, you're going to screw that thing up. You're not going to be mature enough to handle that thing. And there'll be another situation that requires patience, and guess what? You're going to be a leader, and you're going to have more people responsible for you. And you know what you might be tempted to do? Force your hand upon God. And you might make a way in your flesh. And you could bring that whole entire work down, that thing that once upon a time that God put in your heart and you were so excited about and you, you had faith for. You know what? If you don't have patience, you could tear that whole stinking thing down. I've watched pastors do it. They, may, they make a way. And they're wondering why God's not at work in my life. Why do I not see blessing? Well, you know what? Because you forced your hand upon God. Instead of waiting in the upper room, you went out in the field. And by your own power, you made a way. And guess what? No crops were yielded. It is important that we wait. The disciples did it. And then the power came. The power came. The Holy Spirit came. So let's talk about the work. Christ commissions his disciples to spread the gospel with the intent uh, in mind, okay, that they might 
reach the whole world, right? That was what the objective was. Now this begins first with power. They needed power. They needed the Holy Ghost to empower them, to give them spiritual fortitude, to convert their inner man, to change their inner man, to set them apart, to establish God's character within them. They needed the Holy Spirit. And so that's what he does. Okay, listen, to, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8, he says to them, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about this. You can go back and listen to the messages. But the Holy Spirit did come down in that upper room. And they did receive the Holy Spirit. And what was the first thing that they did? What, was it, what is it that happened immediately? Okay? Now, what you're going to say is, well, they spoke in tongues or whatever. Whatever it is, they performed miracles or whatever. No, the first thing they did is they went out into the streets. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that the Holy Spirit made them to do was to go. And to go to their neighborhood. And so before they even had an opportunity to speak, they were out in the streets. Pretty powerful. So the Spirit would be the provocateur, the catalyst for the work, which, it, which would be to take the gospel to the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem. And so the work began immediately. Okay, it began immediately with the leadership of Peter. And they were healing people, and they were converting people. And we see people converted in chapter 2 by the thousands. By the thousands. And then in chapter 3, we see Peter healing. Okay, Peter and John, are healing. they heal a man. And the thousands more are saved. Yeah? And the church begins to grow. And people in Jerusalem are beginning to hear the truth of the Messiah and to receive the gospel. And what we see the church do, we see them preaching in the streets and in the temple. And we see them conducting church services where they worship and fellowship together. We see them provide for one another's needs. We see them praying. And we see them praying primarily that God might see the increase in souls. Like if you look at the prayer life of these people, the main thing that they're praying about is boldness with the gospel, that souls might be saved. We see them organizing, organizing the congregation and designating deacons and, 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 and offices. And we see that there's oversight of the ministry and of the money. And that's kind of where we left off, right? So this is what they're doing. And in, and in six chapters, we see this thing taking form, and we see God at work. But it doesn't go without spiritual warfare. Satan isn't just letting this happen. Okay? And we can see here that chess match that we so often talk about taking place. God moves, then Satan moves. God's men move, and then Satan's men move. So this apostolic ministry didn't go without resistance. You know, after all, the, the, the Sanhedrin were not interested in the decentralization of their power, right? I mean, what was going to happen is, is if, if there was a kingdom of heaven de-emphasis and a focus on the kingdom of God, what it does is it takes away their rulership as the high priest, and it puts the, puts the priesthood upon Jesus Christ. And the whole thing comes apart. And men are then ruled by the Holy Spirit rather than the governance of men. They didn't like that idea. And they weren't going to go down without a fight. And so the Sanhedrin were an important part of our story. And what do we see them do? In chapter 2, we see the apostles were mocked. 
In chapter 4, they were interrogated. In chapter 4, again, they were threatened. In chapter 5, they were imprisoned. And by the end of chapter 5, we see that they've been beaten. Okay? In three, in three chapters, we see them go from being mocked to being beaten for their faith. Satan didn't plan. Right? And, and here's the deal. This is important for us to understand. When Satan slaps your hand and says no, okay, all right, think about that spiritually. All right, when, when you take a baby step in faith, okay, and you're moving forward in obedience to God, and Satan slaps your hand, okay, now this works for Eloise. Okay, my one and a half year old, when I say no and I give her a little flick on her hand, like don't touch the, that dangerous thing, whatever it is, okay? And I, she gets a little flick on her hand, she gets a little rod, a little discipline, right? Very gentle, okay? If that doesn't work, then we need to escalate things, don't we? Things, things must be escalated. The situation becomes more dire. Satan thinks this way too, you know, you know. So what starts as a slap on the hand to the apostles, hey, don't do that. Okay, by the time we get to chapter 6 here, and we move into chapter 7, Satan is up to the ante. He's not playing. And he's not going to play with you either. If what he's not doing, if, if what he's doing isn't working now, well, guess what? He's going to have another plan a year from now. Satan is at work. And he does not want you living the Great Commission. This is his primary objective. Satan doesn't hate you just because he hates you. Okay? If you, if you, if you aren't living for God, guess what? Satan isn't at work in your life. Okay? He'll be, he will be happy and he will be content to let you just waste your life. What Satan hates is people that are living for God. He hates it. He despises it. And you're not going to get away with it without some sort of fight. And you need to be prepared that when it doesn't work, that he is going to up the ante. And this will continue on again for the rest of your life. He will continue to up the ante. The more leadership you have, the more authority that God gives you, the less immature that you are and the more mature you become, Satan will be at work and he will be raising the standard of suffering in your life. You need to know that. You need to know that. That's super important. But regardless of the religious outrage around them, the apostles were simply obedient to speak and to preach what Christ asked them to preach. Now chapter 4 and 5 have been a platform for a conversation for us. I don't know if you remember this, but we've been talking a lot about fear. We've been talking a lot about and you've been hearing me use the word safetyism because I think that that is an appropriate word for, for your generation, okay? Um, I, think, I think among young people, we've grown uh, to be very particularly safe. As a generation of people, we're constantly uh, doing everything in our life to make our lives very comfortable, which, which again, uh, hopefully, hopefully what you've seen, as we've looked at Acts, we've seen just how much your life um, is a waste, actually. Uh, 
how pathetic you are and the things that bring you fear are, so, are, are, are very sad. The things that bring you fear. The things that throw you off course. I hope you recognize that the things that derail the average American Christian um, are very disappointing. And what we have to see in the apostles is that God wants us to live a fearless life regardless of the threats around us. Psalm chapter 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? It's a very good question. It's a question we should ask ourselves pretty regularly. What can man do to you if God is on your side? I mean, the answer comes pretty quickly. Man can't do anything to you. What are they going to do? Take your life? Come on. In light of eternity, in light of who God is, that's nothing. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Shall be safe. No, safety, safety, real safety comes in knowing God. Key point, the Acts of the Apostles will teach us how to embrace the suffering and surrender of the mission. The Acts of the Apostles will teach us how to embrace the suffering and the surrender of the mission. And as we continue on with chapter 6, we discover one of the greatest exemplars of fearlessness in all of Scripture, Stephen. Here we are with Stephen. We discover a man who is described repeatedly as a man full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Fearless, completely fearless. So let's start in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. We're going to introduce ourselves to Stephen, and then we're going to call it quits. Can we do that? And we're going to dig in. Next week, what we'll do is we will uh, preach his message. And we'll talk about its significance, both historically and for uh, what God was doing and, and, and what it means his message meant for this transition that was taking place. And then we're going to talk about his martyrdom. Okay? And I, and I think it's going to be a pretty jarring and challenging message, so, so we want to be ready for that. But we want to first introduce ourselves to Stephen before we go. If you remember, uh, in Acts chapter 6, what, what's happening is the ordination of the first deacons is taking place, right? So um, the church needs people who are going to rule over things, keep the, the, uh, the administrative tasks uh, in, in structure and in order, keep things organized, because the apostles were really busy doing preaching and healing people. And they didn't have time to oversee the thousands of people that were coming to know Christ. And, and so what they did is they, they uh, established the deaconship. And they ordained a group of men. In verse 5 it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and, uh, and uh, Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed... They laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what do we see here? We see the ordination of men into the role of the deacon, and we see that they were approved of. In other words, other people were behind them. And the church began to multiply. Now we talked for a little bit about how important it is that you guys uh, recognize the role of deaconship in Kaya. Okay? And not as it just concerns the, the ordination of deacons, but we talked about how much we needed people to step in to leadership roles in this ministry, especially as God continues to grow it. And a lot of you probably look at yourself and you say, well, I'm not really a leader yet. Yes, you are. 
Okay, if you're here and you're sitting in the pew, God's calling you to leadership. You don't have to question that, okay? And you don't even necessarily need to question in what role or what capacity. What you need to do is you, see need, you need to see need in the ministry. You need to see where there's holes and there's gaps, and you need to fill them. That's what leaders do. So start by serving. We need you to do that. Now, upon their appointment, we see the church continue to strengthen. Now, I, I want to say this. The church growing in strength is the natural spiritual course of things in light of faith and obedience. Things get stronger when people have faith and obey. Things grow. Things get better. God gets more glory. More people will come to know Christ. Disciples will be made when people have faith and obey. And what we see repeatedly in Scripture, from Abraham to Acts, is that God is inclined to bless people who are full of faith. And so here's Stephen. Verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. We come face to face with a man full of faith and power. And he'd just been, he'd just been described in verse 5, three verses ago, as a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost. And now he's being described, just three verses later, as a man full of faith and power. Now this rep- reminds us of three very important things. Are you ready? Three Simple truths that we often neglect in our own character. And the first thing is faith begets power. Faith begets power. That's the first thing. The second thing is power comes from the Holy Ghost. And the third thing is power results in wonders. Wonders in our lives. Works in our lives that people can't explain. So here's a man full of faith and power. Oh yeah, okay. So you know this one, right? What I just said, you know that. You know that. Yeah, f- yeah, faith, and then faith and the power. And yeah, power comes from the Holy Ghost. And yeah, when the Holy Ghost is working, yeah, 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 wonders and all, yeah, okay. But here's the problem. We are so focused as a ministry, listen to me, as a ministry, we are so focused on the power part that we neglect to focus on the faith part. And this is, this is where I have a lot of concern. We prefer what faith produces over faith itself. Undercutting true power in our lives. So you say to yourself, well God, I I want there to be power in my life. I want to be able to speak with authority and I want to be used. I want to see your hand of blessing in my life. And he's calling you to greater faith. You know, the, the, the funny thing is many of us are convinced that knowledge is power. I mean, we say it all the time, don't we? That knowledge is power. And so what we do as a society, what we do is we build schools in third world countries because we believe that knowledge is power. And to some regard, I get that. I get that. But knowledge alone isn't power because knowledge can be empty and it can, and it can puff us up. It can make us vain. See, knowledge only results in power if it activates greater faith in the disciple. So you want to go to LFBI. Well, that's good. You should. But LFBI is worthless to the person who does not have faith. So congratulations. You know more. But guess what? God isn't going to promote you. God isn't going to use you. Not unless you believe that what you learn is going to build the faith within you. You know, many of us are convinced that that position is power. Aren't we? We live that way, don't we? Position is power. 
Well, if I was, if you would just ordain me to be a deacon, Brandon, or if, if, I, if I was a pastor, or if I did have a Bible study, if I had a Bible study, position, position isn't power unless it's leveraged in faith. You know, Stephen was a deacon and didn't have the title or the authority of an apostle. On paper, he was lesser than. You know what I mean? On paper, he wasn't an apostle. And yet his faith beget power that no one could deny. Look at verse 10. And they were not able, speaking of the Sanhedrin and, and the group that was, we'll talk about here later, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. So the people that were coming in contact with Stephen with the intent that they might resist him could not deny the wisdom and the power by which he spake. He wasn't an apostle. He didn't have a position. He wasn't as knowledgeable as Peter. No, he had faith. And faith beget power. And power comes by the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost produces wonders and mighty and powerful works in our life. Many of us in this room hear all that and we would assent to it in our minds and we acknowledge it intellectually but we fail to consider where our faith comes from. So listen to me carefully. True faith is not generated by serving harder or attending more church events. Or canvassing more neighborhoods. That's not where faith comes from. True faith is developed in simple obedience to biblical truth. True faith is developed when one meditates on single individual verses and single individual words from Scripture. True faith is developed in hours upon hours of prayer. True faith is developed in failure. True faith is developed in suffering. True faith is developed in submitting in moments when you don't understand what the outcomes might be. True faith obsesses over the mission in the silence of the heart. This is how faith comes. It's real simple. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is simple. It's as simple as it is complex. And many of us, we like to go and we do our little devotional time in the morning and we check that box off and then we go check off the next box and the next box and the next box. And guess what? Your faith will always fail. You works-centered, selfish Christian. Believe, what would happen, dear God, if you sat and meditated tomorrow morning on a single individual verse until that thing took root in your heart and you obsessed about it? What would happen if next time you suffered, that instead of trying to find the quickest way out, you sat in it for a while? And you consider, what is God doing? What would happen if the next time you messed up in ministry, you didn't beat yourself up about it? And, and self-hate for a season? And throw yourself into a spiral of depression because you messed up? Well, guess what? Welcome to the club. And what if instead you believe God, that he has grace sufficient for you? And you move forward in faith instead of wallowing in the mire of your own self-defeat. 
See, this is where faith is born, in believing God in simple things. We don't believe God. And so God doesn't use us. You know what I want for my life? I want for my life to be used. And I mess that up all the time. But there was something, you know, there was a point a long time ago, and there might have been moments like this, where I, I stepped over that line of demarcation that you guys keep giving testimony to. And I stepped over that. That happened a while ago. Okay? And there might be more of those. But I can tell you right now, I'm obsessed with being used by God. I'm obsessed with it. To my own detriment. To my own lack of sleep. To my own neglect of important things in my life. And I get out of balance and all the, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm not telling you that I'm perfect. I don't have it figured out. What I'm telling you and I'm, and I, and I'm confessing to you is that I have to believe God for more. And he can do more with less. And if I believe that for my life, don't you think that I have to believe that for your lives? Like, my, like the purpose of my life is to raise my family and to raise you to follow Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of my life. You forget that sometimes about me. You think that I do this as some sort of vocational obligation. And I don't. I'm not that stupid. I do this because I desire for you to have more faith that we might all stand at the judgment seat with fruit to our account and with glory to Jesus Christ's name because he deserves it. And I'm obsessed with that. I, I, it's like written all over my heart. But listen to me. Kaya will fail in the work and we will fail in the mission if individual people don't, don't live and behave and believe the way Stephen did. And so we hear about Stephen. It's like a blip on the axe radar. I mean, he comes and goes like that. You know what, though? Stephen is the centerpiece of the entire book. The whole book hinges on what happens in the next two chapters. Everything changes because God's man believed and he took it to his grave. And I want to be like that. And that's what we're going to learn about. And this is Stephen. Stephen is a man full of faith and power given to him by the Holy Ghost. Let us consider that as we go into worship, Uriah. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word and for your conviction. And Lord, I, I just, I want to tell you, Lord, I have, I have a mission focus. I have it. Again, I, it's not clear, not clear like it is to you. 
Lord, I, my heart's not as big as yours is. It's not. My vision isn't as broad as yours is. And, uh, Lord, I get selfish along the way, and, and you don't do that. And, and so I'm not telling you that, that, my, that I'm, I, my mission focus is particularly spiritual or anything. I'm just saying I have one. And it's meek and it's weak, but I have one. And, and, and what I need from you is I, is I don't necessarily need more head knowledge, and I don't necessarily need a different position, and I don't need anything, really. Uh, I just need to believe you for more. Uh, to believe you, that, that, that you want me to speak up, that you want me to put things at risk, that you want me to be fearless in my approach to the Great Commission. And by doing so is, is me acknowledging the fact that you are going to work in me Lord, I believe you. And where I don't believe, would you teach me to believe? We want to be used. We want to change the world. I want this group of people to produce church planters. I want this group of people to produce pastors and missionaries and leaders that impact every city and every campus in the whole world. So I give that to you. And Lord, I ask that you would begin working in the hearts of individuals in this room that that might be achieved, not in their power, but because they believed you. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.